Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. This is Kelsey here today with Steve Wiseman. He's the CEO at Tumbleweed Houses. Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for thanks for having me here and looking forward to talking with you a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. So um, I, I'm going to talk about myself and the company together here. Yeah. So a, about, uh, gosh, I, around 2000 or so, I started going into business for myself. And um, I was in the restaurant industry. And to get started in business, I really couldn't afford a large home. So I, I moved into a really small place. And what I found was that I actually liked it. you know. And so as my business started doing better and I could afford a different place, Rather than get another big place, I actually looked for the smallest place I could find that I could live in, and I rented that. And uh, my friends started calling me Small House Steve. And so a friend of mine was like, hey, I met a guy who lives in a house that's even smaller than yours. You've got to see it. And so coincidentally, just like in a random thing, I bumped into the two of them together when they were on a on some sort of a date. Yeah. And I, I, I wound up uh, you know, just interjecting myself, going to dinner, and then going home with them and seeing this tiny house. And I instantly fell in love and it was a tumbleweed. And just in that second, I was like, I want to be part of this. Yeah. So um, about a week later, I started volunteering my time at Tumbleweed. Um, And at this point in time, right, it's to call it a company is as a, um, it it is a company, but it isn't a company. So it's it's like a, a, a very good compliment to call it a company at that point in time, because it was a pseudo business, you know, it had some revenue. Um, it, it was, the revenue at the time was about $55,000 a year. <laughs> um, and so I, I got involved in about, you know, less than a year later, I bought into the company. And, um, you know, that's that's how I got started in this. So basically, the first tumbleweed was built in 1999. Mm-hmm. I saw my first tumbleweed in 2006. And by 2007, I bought into the company and was uh, running the, the marketing end of stuff. Okay. And, you know, at first it really was a labor of love because the, the sales were, they were so small, you know, $55,000 a year is hardly anything. And I remember like, okay, so I got involved with the company. Uh, it was April 2nd and I was going on vacation on April 11th. <laughs> and so in those 10 days, I made some changes to the website, right? To just make it more uh, user-friendly. Okay. And um, while I'm on vacation, I'm looking at the numbers and believe it or not, the sales doubled. From the changes I already made. And it was just such a mind blower. And I come back from vacation, I do some more changes and they double again. So we basically quadrupled sales like in the first year. Wow. And um, so from, and then from like 2008 to two, some period, some for some eight years, it was just rapid, rapid growth. Um, and a lot of it was really marketing. So I, I'm a, I'm really into marketing. It's my favorite part of the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I've got free time, that's something I'm going to do. And it's not just the marketing component. It's it's really the sales processes and marketing and how they tie in together. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of an educational journey for me. Um, and it started back in the restaurant industry and morphed. And when, in, once I got into the internet-based marketing, I just fell in love because you get the results so instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you talked about being able to quadruple your sales in the first year through like website changes. Talk to me a little bit about what those were and how that how that was able to work so well for you. 
gosh, you know, in the first year, I'm not even sure if I remember all the things that we did, but I, I also just recall that it wasn't even obvious how to buy something on the website. And so I just put the add to cart buttons in really more obvious places. Yeah. Um, but then I did a split test. And so I started doing split testing back when I was in the restaurant industry. So we were doing a lot of mail campaigns. Mm-hmm. And um, mail campaigns are much more expensive than the internet. So there's a lot less room for error. And the first mail campaign I did, I think I bought 5,000 um, 5, addresses, right? And I, I, I bought all the demographic data with those addresses, which cost me extra. And yeah. then I mailed them out and I tracked specifically which ones came out back okay. into the restaurant to use that. And I found a specific subset of people with certain demographic data. So going forward, I only bought addresses for those demographic datas. And then, of course, I started testing different offers. You know, so here I'll send one offer and it's going to come to you on a postcard. And another offer is going to come as a trifold and another offer is going to come as a flyer and see which one do, does better. And then I would change the things like, well, what's the deal you're getting? So yeah. I started doing all of those. And that's, that's how I got started in split testing. And so with Tumbleweed, I started split testing. And um, one of the happy accidents was that I just made a change two words on the website. We were selling uh, a small house book. And it was, it said small house uh, book. Sorry, it said book. It didn't yep. say small house book. It said book in the navigation. And I changed it to small house book. Okay. And that one change doubled the traffic to that webpage, which in turn doubled the sales of our book, which was our number one revenue generator at the time. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So when you're talking about the split test for the demographics for Tumbleweed, what did that look like? So it was a combination of a lot of different parts. And so, so for instance, on the website, right? So you look at each page and, and you look, think about it as a funnel optimization. Okay. So you've got a website and you've got certain key objectives. I want to get you to pages A, B, and C. You know, maybe pages X, Y, Z are the entry points, mm-hmm. but A, B, and C are the things that I want to succeed in. And so for Tumbleweed in the beginning, we weren't, it, it was right around the crash of the housing market. And we knew we weren't going to sell houses. So we were focused on DIY. We were a DIY company. So the goal was to get your email. That was one goal. The other goal was to get you to buy one of the products, obviously. Or the third goal, for instance, we had workshops, was that you would just sign up to try to win a free workshop ticket. Okay. So those were the multiple ways. Or the other other goal was to click ads because we had ads and ads were an important part, right? So... Really, it was three th- three things: ads, buy something, or get your email. Yep. Um, and those were all three revenue generators. And so, obviously, the 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 best one is you're going to buy something. So, like on that book page, yep. it wasn't just how to get them to the book page. It was once you're on the book page, what's the way that's most likely going to convert? Mm-hmm. So, I would test things that just beyond your imagination: the color of the cart, add to cart button, the size of the add to cart button, the headline, the color of the font, yeah. which pictures I used. Um, you know, I take the page and rearrange the order and see if that works better. I probably tested over 200 different combinations of that page. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And okay. So then if you didn't buy that, we would send an email, right? So same process with the email. Um, when I'd send the email, we had a pretty huge list. It was several hundred thousand people. So I, it was really easy to do split testing on small portions and get good results. Uh Uh-huh. So I'd create, an, I'd create two versions of the email or three versions of the email, and I would test the headline and see which one works best. And then again, I'd test the author and the email. 
And like, I, I did a study on this one and there was one email I sent on part A, right? This is the first email. And I went through multiple iterations. And by the time I finally honed it in, I, the, the new one was working 67% better than the original one. Really? And, yeah. So, but here's the thing is like, you go, oh, well, this is easy to do. And you assume, you know, which things are going to work, but that's where we're all wrong. And I was, I was smart enough to be stupid enough to not assume anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so I wouldn't, I mean, these are the kinds of things when I, I talk with a lot of marketers and like, well, what you, you test the color of the button, that's not going to make any difference. How do I know? Right? Like that's two little words, book versus small house book can double the sales of something. So I'm not going to assume I know. Right. And, <laughs> right. So, right. So it, I, I consider it more of a, I call it my, like I call it spaghetti marketing. Uh, you throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall, you see what sticks, <laughs> and then you, you you take that piece and you throw it against another wall, another batch, and you see what sticks there. <laughs> I love that analogy. It's so true though, because like you know, especially with so many different demographics who you're looking to target, you don't know what may work because I, that was going to be my next question is talking about you know what demographic like what's an example of the demographics that you're looking to target but it sounds like you could be targeting anyone so throwing that spaghetti at the wall it's not necessarily targeting one specific person but you're just trying to hit you know uh, uh one specific demographic in one area am i hearing that right well i think you bring an interesting point because i don't do customer segmentation right okay. so i think a lot of people work with profiles of customers where they create these avatars and yeah it's true i have a sense of who our customers are yeah. But um, I don't try to differentiate okay. what they're seeing based on that. Okay. So okay. it's, yeah, I'm just looking for the most effective offer for the broadest category of people. Okay, that makes sense. And what has been the most successful platform that you've been able to do that with? Do you think it's your Gosh. website? Uh, yeah, it's the website. And there was this one software that I was using back in the day, which made it so easy. But nowadays, it's very, very different. Um, and I can't even remember the name of it, but it was, so I went to this, um, I went, so I, I go back in time Yeah. way back when, like when I was in the restaurant business, I read this book about split testing, which yep. is what got me into it. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of doing that, but I think I like this and I want to do it some more. So mm -hmm. I did. And then at one point I went to a, a workshop on it and the presenter there was the person who did this for Barack Obama's campaign. So he was a brilliant guy and talked a lot about how they did all these split tests and tried to made us guess which one we thought would work better. And if the, you know, the audience was wrong every time, you know, <laughs> if you've got a room full of marketers and we couldn't figure it out. And that's the point is that you have to test it. And he built some software that I used to use that okay. you could rapidly change pages. Like every day you could just make the changes to the page. Okay. Okay. Um, but you know, before that I was even using Google analytics, right? So you'd have um, back then you could do split testing with Google. They don't have that software anymore. Yeah. But there are custom softwares. I, I don't do much split testing anymore today. Okay. okay. Um, so I do have so some successful. What's that? Just because you've been so successful with, with the company. Right. So that, well, it's basically stuck. Like I, I, I did testing on the website. I have what I've got now. I figured it out. Yeah. I could probably test again, but I feel like I've optimized the heck out of it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's not where the gains are. So nowadays my, you know, then after I got the website, optimized. Oh. I started looking more at um, the emails that we send to customers, the text message we sent to customers mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I started split testing text messages. So that was a whole different ball of wax because um, 
there's no software for it. So I, I built okay. my own. Okay. And uh, one of the like, here's, here's an example of what we did is I made it where we were sending the same text message through multiple times in the day. Yep. Um, and I figured out generally people respond to text messages best during certain times. So, and we've got a, a list that's nationwide. So now we want, we know we want to send messages to you during certain times, but also if they responded during a certain time and I'm going to log that time. So now I've got this database of when people respond and what time zone they're in. So I know when to send the messages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that actually, if I recall that it improved our response rate, like by about 20%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Being able Just, to optimize those times and really narrow in. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the next thing we started testing was the, um, the, the, the hook, right? So, and you're not, I'm not sending an email offer. We're sending an email where we're just trying to get them engaged in a conversation. So there's the hook, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, there's, there's definitely improvements in the hook. Um, the one thing I found like, for instance, was that sending a picture with a email is actually a bad idea for a business. Like then it comes across, like, we're not trying to engage you. We're trying to sell you. And oh. the response is really dropped. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the message is, um, the shorter the message, the more likely people were to respond. Those are some of the things that we learned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and so so that's that's an example. And so I, I took all this information, and now it's all automated, right? So the salespeople don't have to go out and re-engage people. Um, it's tied in with the CRM, so yeah. time com the time comes to re-engage them, and poof, it sends them an email, a text message yeah. at the right time. Yeah. And hey, that's, I mean, certainly a way to optimize and take that lift off of your salespeople too. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like another example, after that, I started focusing on, well, who's, you know, what sort of patterns can I find in the CRM? Mm -hmm. And so this is, it's a combination of sales and marketing, right? And so when, what I found, like I was always looking at the wrong thing. I was looking at the demographics of who's buying. So I was always trying to figure out, well, if, if I know these demographics, so, and I know that most of our buyers are women and they fall into two age ranges, right? So if I was to look at that and, you know, someone gives us their email, you can pay for that information. Mm -hmm. But that's, that wasn't really getting us anywhere. And, and instead, what I found was that they followed a certain pattern of how they interacted with us and how they interacted with the website. So if I could extract that pattern, those are the people that we have to call mm -hmm. and that's that's what I did on that one. So now, instead of the salespeople looking through a list of you know a hundred calls, mm -hmm. I figured out the ones that are most likely to buy based on this algorithm with lead yeah. scoring, put them to the top, and we call those. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually funny you bring that up. We were just taking a deeper dive into data, uh, and it's not our data, right, for me, but we found that um, eighty percent of deals are closed between the fifth and the twelfth point of contact. So it's not the first, it's not the second, but it sounds like it's similar for you that it's the those more points of contact that you've been able to build that trust and build that relationship. Am I hearing that right? Well, that's not that. That's a good assumption, but no, that's not how it works for us. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, it so they can they can contact us through a multitude of different ways, right? And there's specific ways if they follow. So, for instance, if they follow one path into us versus a different path, their chance of buying is 30 times more likely. So, talk to me more about that. What, like, what do you mean by that? Okay, so in in this, I, I kind of don't want to give away my secrets. Okay, fair enough. Well, we can leave it at that then. 
<laughs> but I'll give you an example. So we have forms on the website that collect their email, right? Okay. And there's one form on this page and there's another form on this page. Mm -hmm. So two different forms. And one form is just very static and very simple. The other one has lots of questions on it. Mm -hmm. And as you work your way through the questions, somebody who answers the questions one way versus another way, the, the difference between the best and the worst is 30 to one more time, 30 times more likely to buy. And it's like, okay, interesting. But it's, it's asking similar questions, but it's how they answer that gives it away. It, it, it builds a profile, yeah. right? So it's, but it, and it creates a lead score. So the lead scores are entirely different. And I mean, some of it's kind of obvious, but some of it's not, okay. um, you know, so, uh, here's a, here's an obvious one. Did they give us their full name or not? That, mm. that plays into the lead score. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you're calling people, you know, uh, if I've got Steve W or S Weisman versus Steve Weisman in my database, mm -hmm. the chance of SW or S Weisman buying is really, really small, mm -hmm. incredibly small. Mm -hmm. And the chance of Steve Weissman buying is really, really high. We were talking about these customers, right? So they're, they're following two different paths into our system. Mm -hmm. um, and you were talking about the points of contact. Mm -hmm. And so we, we tend to have actually a very long buying cycle. Okay. Uh, it's really, really rare. It does happen that someone picks up the phone and calls us and just says, hey, I want to get a tiny house. Mm -hmm. And out of the blue, you make a sale. That does happen. But most of them have about a two to three year cycle. Okay. So... Um, Knowing when and who's going to buy is critical. So, for instance, when we get a lead that is coming in for, to us for the first time, they're not nearly as likely to buy as the one that's you've talked to three times already. Mm -hmm. But that that's kind of um, the one that's coming in for the first time seems more appealing than yeah. hey, here's this person I've already talked to them a bunch of times. And and the thing is, is, the person that you've probably talked to a bunch of times, maybe they've moved, maybe they're back in the system with different information. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the real tricks is matching them up, hmm. you know, figuring out that that's actually the same person okay. and that the software didn't do that intuitively. I actually created a little thing with um, Zapier and it's this whole software and I call it smart match. <laughs> so uh, there's four, like there's four or five points of entry and I try and match them. And whenever there's a, a, a close match, it comes over to me or the sales manager. We can look at it and say, oh, that's the same person or not. And if it's the same person re-engaging, you know, that changes their lead score entirely. So kind of talking about the product about Tumbleweed Houses, what, what does the product look like? Okay, that's a great question. So, you know, when we build a tiny house, people assume that it's a house when actually it's really an RV. So oh. it comes on a trailer, it's permanently attached to the trailer, the wheels never come off. Okay. Most people skirt it so they never see the wheels, but they are always part of the house. And they even stick up into the house. We'll bury them inside there, but they're part of, they're part of it forever. Um, so that's misconception number one. And then our houses, they come in two sizes. And there's small and smaller. <laughs> so small is 260 square feet with a loft. And they get down to about uh, 200 square feet with a loft. Okay. okay. Wow. Um, they, they're pretty they're, – they don't require a permit to travel. So anybody can move them, but I don't recommend it for anybody. It's, it's more of an experienced hauler. It's not like an RV where you can just hook it up to a Ford 150 and drive it around. These require a serious truck to move. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Steve, this has been really interesting. I love your insights on marketing. Um, I do have one more question before we go. Uh, yeah. What would be one thing that you hope to be celebrating in this next year? The COVID is over. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I hear um, that. And, and I say that too, because it really had a very negative impact on the business as well. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, um, we had to close up for, for several weeks, but even when we reopened, people were very, very hesitant to buy a tiny house. And a lot of people who wanted to, their jobs were so unpredictable. Wow. Um, and so, so mo most of our buyers finance. And so we finally started seeing things return to normal from the customer side, yeah. but it's been so wild with materials and with the labor market that we haven't been able to ramp back up to where we used to be. So we're just trying to get back to where we were, were pre-COVID. And I think the yeah. next year we'll be back there. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great thing to be celebrating. And that's an interesting take, too, that I hadn't necessarily considered on, you know, the effects that COVID has had on, you know, your your industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, okay. this is kind of, like I said, a really great conversation. I love your insights about marketing. I think the spaghetti analogy is hysterical, uh, but I I really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks for being on Business Ninjas. All right. Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.